0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more
1: information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Let's go now to God's Word as we look at 1 John 2, 15-27.
0: Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that, that it might be plain that they are not of us. But you, ha- but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, is true and there is no lie. Just as it has been taught you, abide in Him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's try that again. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. There we go. I know we've not been clear on that. We are putting that up there to uh, to make a response because of how blessed we are to have God's word. Let's go to Him in prayer and ask Him to open our hearts to His word this morning. Father, we we come and we are needy. We are more so than most of us understand and acknowledge. Our need for you to come by your spirit and make your word alive in our hearts is real, not because there's any deficiency in your word, but because there's great deficiency in our hearts. And so we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, I pray for the ones in this room that are skeptical of your truth, that, Lord, you would make yourself known to them, that you would come crashing into their hearts with the very words of life, that, Father, you would surprise them by your presence and your power. Father, I pray for those that are yours in this place today, whose hearts have grown cold, that you would warm them by the fire of Jesus' love. That he is for them and not against them. That his love is enduring and lasting even unto eternity. That you do not love us any less than you will love us in glory right now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would warm my heart by the fire of the words that I'm about to speak. And may they be pleasing in your sight. Father, show up and do something for all of us because we need you. Get glory, we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the beginning, God, to think about your life correctly and for me to think about my life correctly, we have to begin with God. Because there is literally nothing that we experience in this life um, there's nothing that that we face in this life, there's nothing that we interact with in this life that doesn't have a direct correlation to God because in the beginning, God. And I really believe that John is driving us there to that truth um, because John in his writing is constantly aware that God is creator, that he is prior to all things and that All things find their fulfillment in him. We think about John's gospel. How does he he begin it? In the beginning, the Word was made flesh. In the beginning, the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. All these themes of God being creator, uh, of of everything that we experience in that is common and natural to us in our lives, John is always making that correlation back to God. Why? Because we naturally live opposed to thinking about God and making the connection of the things in our lives to God. We don't naturally make those lines straight to him. And so as John begins his apostle, his epistle, he is, he is going to something very simple. We saw in chapter one that he begins talking about the necessity for true Christians, for true believers to experience and have fellowship with God. Koinonia is the Greek word. And, and, and he uses this simple concept of relationship to Help us understand that unless we have a real relationship with God, we don't know God. We just know about God. And and so he said we must be experiencing koinonia with God. And then he starts talking about walking in the light. He he talks about obedience. He talks about fidelity. Why? Why? Because any relationship, we all experience this. This is not deep and high theology. It's what we all live and experience. Um, In our relationships, we must have fidelity or we have end of the relationship. Think about marriage. Marriage is the one relationship that we can have complete and full intimacy this side of heaven with another person. And we open ourselves up not just verbally but also physically, sexually. We have deep and 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 in enduring intimacy in marriage. And yet what threatens marriage? What threatens intimacy? But infidelity. And so we, we hear these themes and when we apply them to God we think, oh God, you're just exclusive and unfair and but it's it's relational. Now, why is that? Because He is relationship. Anything you and I know about relationship, the way our relationships work, we can make a straight line to God. Why? Because we are made in His image and He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so this morning, um, we're going to look at what kills intimacy with God. And, And the same things that kill intimacy with God are the things that kill intimacy in our relationships. So what kills intimacy with God? There are really two things that, um, that John is looking at. First, in verses 15 through 17, he, he says um, what kills intimacy in, in, with our relationship with God is a love for the world. It's just adultery. When we love the world above God, and we're going to unpack that. But then secondly, um, in, in verses, what, 18 or 19 through 27, he's, he's going to show us that what kills intimacy with God is not taking Jesus for who he has revealed himself to be, namely the Savior of the world come in the flesh. The literal, physical Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, first of all, the love of the world kills intimacy. What does he mean by that? Because the world is good. Creation is good. Right? Anybody in here seen the movie, I'm going to say it in, in my worst French accent, Chocolat? Anybody seen the movie Chocolat? Chocolate? Uh, nobody? All right, a few people. Good. Those that haven't, um, you should repent and go home and get on Netflix this afternoon or wherever it, it is available. And then you're going to say, Richard has the worst taste in movies ever. Um, I love that movie because it displays the battle between creation and our desires, it it explains the battle between um, moralistic, legalistic living and and declaring that God's creation is good, law and grace, and so forth. You see this um, this this mayor, this legalistic, moralistic um, mayor, who's uh, of a little French village. Um, is is using his governing authority over the village to reconcile himself to God, to present himself as righteous to God. He's using his work as mayor to justify himself to God. And as you learn, and I'm sorry, I'll ruin the movie for you, but as you learn, um, he his wife left him. And much of how he thinks about the world is shaped because of this deep wound in his life that his wife left him. And so he's using um, his, his role as mayor to justify himself, reconcile himself, present himself as righteous to God um, because he obviously doesn't feel righteous before God. And the way that he does it is by repressing the little town, the little village. Um, the way to heaven, the ladder to heaven is going to be through self-denial. And, and the rigorous um, demands of the law, and so nobody can have fun. Nobody can, um, you know, laugh, or they can't have festivals in the town uh, because we are working our way to God, and the worldly, the the, the pleasures of the world are are um, frugal, and and there is no connection between them and God. And so God sends. Uh, well, that's my take on it. Let's just say this woman comes into the city with her illegitimate daughter. And she opens a chocolate store. And the people of the town um, are drawn to it. Why? Because they've been repressed and, and, and they've been, you know, um, not allowed to have any kind of pleasure in life. And yet here is the scrumptious smell of chocolate wafting through the village. And they're drawn to it. And there's this battle, you know, the, the mayor saying, we must deny ourselves. This is of the devil, so on and so forth. And this woman who just loves life and loves chocolate, and and of course at the end, the mayor gives in in the middle of the night, the Eve Easter Eve, he breaks into the store, starts breaking up all the chocolate and the little um, window, the display window, and some of it lands on his lip and then gets to his tongue, and he just ravenously eats his way through the whole shop. And they find him the next morning in the display window with chocolate all over his face, and it, it is awesome. It is awesome. And the pre-sermon, it's Easter, that's when they they find the pre-sermon is the gospel. It is creation in the gospel. So go watch the movie, fast forward it to that, that's really all of it. You need to see now that I've ruined the movie for you. But, But what's the point? The point is creation is good. The problem with us as humans is not creation. The problem is us. And we see that throughout the Bible. God creates all things physical, and he looks at it, and what does he do? He says, it is good. There's some artists in this room. You've painted paintings, and you've looked at it, or you've done a sculpture, or you've, you've written a story, and you've looked at it or read it, and you've said, this is bad, maybe. But sometimes, sometimes, you look at it, and you go, ah, oh, this is good. And that's what God did, the great creator. This is good. Now, the physical world is good. It is here that we might know God, that we might experience God with the physical bodies that he's given. We, we see the goodness of creation in Colossians 2. Colossians, Paul in Colossians is going against the very same um, people that John is going against in First John that we'll look at here in a minute. It was the Gnostics. And the Gnostics said, all physical is bad, therefore Jesus could not have come in the flesh. And so Paul writes to uh, the church in Colossians and says, guys... Jesus, all things have been made by him and for him. It's like the father said, look, son, look, son, let me just give you the greatest gift ever. Boom. Over six days creates all that we know. With the pinnacle of creation being Adam and Eve, mankind. And so Paul in Colossians says this. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. ...or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. And and so, understand that denying the flesh is not necessarily the way to God. And yet, John gives us a warning in verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world. ...or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life... ...is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever... What is John saying? I think it's summarized there in verse 16. The love of the world is the desire of the eyes, excuse me, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. The Greek word there for desire is epithumia. And it's an over-desiring. It is desiring to the point of demanding. It is saying, you will satisfy me. You will fulfill me. You see, there is nothing wrong with the things of the world. In fact, the things of the world are good, but they're not God. You see, they can't do for us what God can do for us. And when we put expectations and desires, over-desiring, epithumia kind of desire, on the things of the world, then we are going to be left empty Hopeless and despondent. Because there's nothing in this world, there's no one in this world that can fulfill us and satisfy us to the capacity, hear me, to the capacity that we've been created to be fulfilled and to be satisfied. And so the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. You see, to reject God for the physical is evil. Why? Because any time we stop short of God with our desiring, we are in the midst of idolatry. And th- this is what we've done. Uh, Christmas is not too far back. We can rewind a little bit and remember Christmas. All right. So think about Christmas. You gave gifts to friends, to children, to parents, to aunts, uncles, whoever. You gave gifts, all right? Well, imagine that you've shopped to get the perfect gift for whoever you're giving the gift to. And they open it, and they go, wow, this is amazing. Now I don't need you at all. Our relationship is over. You're like, what? What? Well, no, 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 no. no that, that wasn't the purpose of the giving you the gift. The reason I gave you the gift was to show you how much I love you. So the reason for me to give you the gift was to make our relationship stronger. But do you understand that when we desire the things of the world over God, that's what we're doing. We, uh, we're opening gifts and we're saying, oh, great. Now I don't need you. That's idolatry. That's all it is. It's worshiping the created thing over the creator. And that's what John is referring to. You see, friends, he's given us food and drink that we that, that we might have a bit of satisfaction to our flesh, to our bodies. But there's a way to eat that brings glory to God and a way to eat and drink that... Does not bring glory to God. Because either you're, you're, you're gonna eat to live, and you're gonna eat to taste and know that God is good, which is what we should do. We should always be drawing those lines from what I experience in this world to how good God is. Alright? So taste and know that God is good. I love the psalmist who, taste and know that God is good, not that food is the end. Because when we live to eat, We've replaced God with the food and the drink around us. There's a way to work that brings glory to God. And there's a way to work that uses work to justify our existence. Yesterday I built a wall of shelves in my garage. um, Twelve feet long, about eight feet, eight and a half feet tall. I can barely move. I'm hurting up here, uh, walking. Because all day, I, I counted, I, I counted how many screws? Over 200 screws in 50 different two-by-fours. Uh, cutting, sawing, building. And yet, at the end of it, all I could do was just step back and look at it. And then as, as you know, I, I, I texted Rachel, I said, you got to come out here and see this. She was in the house. I didn't want to go inside because I was so exhausted. But you got to come out here and see that. Uh, Tom and AK are here. When they woke up this morning, they were out a little later than I went to bed last night. I, I said, hey, have you seen my shelves? I mean, there's something right in taking some pride in what we create. Why? Because God has made us to be productive. God has made us to build. God has made us to produce. And yet, if that's all I'm talking about in a year, are my shelves still? And I'm, every sermon I'm bringing it up? I mean, you've gotta to come to me and say, dude, you gotta repent. I mean, do you see it? There's nothing, it's less than 24 hours, I'm good. But in a year, it will not be good. You see, God has created us to work that we might experience what it's like to be human. The way he's made us a sense of accomplishment. And yet, if all of a sudden I think, man, I can become a millionaire by selling shelves. And I spend all that money on myself. And I look to those shelving and look to this business as, as i am become a millionaire, a multi-millionaire, and all of a sudden I am a multi-millionaire who made it himself when all I'm doing is using the air that God gave me, using the gifts God gave me, using the abilities that God gave me, and he could take away at any second because he's God. Do you see it? I mean, work is not bad. Work is good, but oh, how we can use it to justify ourselves. Sex is good, but it's never the end. And when it becomes all we think about, when it becomes what we fantasize about, we are putting an expectation on it. When it's how we must identify ourselves, we're putting too much weight on sex. We're, we're, we're exalting that too high. We are more than sex, just like we're more than our work. And we're more than our play and we're more than food and drink. We are image bearers of God. Do you see it? When he gives us bodies and all we do is exercise or, or or get into beauty and makeup and clothes and where all we can do is just stare at ourselves and if there's one little blemish, and there always is, or we start getting older and slower and full of wrinkles. <laughs> and we feel like we've lost our identity. We're not using the bodies for the purpose of which God gave them to us. So how are you doing? How are, how's your flesh doing? <laughs> how are the desires of your eyes doing? How is the pride of life? Are you looking to something in this world to give you heaven now? It's the pride of life. God told us you're not gonna get, you're not gonna get it. I want us to take a couple of minutes. I've written a bunch of diagnostic questions. And I I literally, I want you to take out your phone, use your notes. If If you got a pen and a bulletin, I want you to write answers to these questions. I want you just to process these questions. And Matthew, if you'll just, Give people time to read them, play a little music. I'm going to give you about two minutes um, to do a little heart and soul diagnostic or diagnosing. Spend some time with these questions. you want to take pictures of those, Matthew, you can just kind of scroll back and forth for another minute or so. But as you begin to identify, if you're bold enough to identify how the over-desiring, the epithumia kind of desiring of your flesh um, or the, the epithumia of your eyes... And that Facebook, Instagram thing, I, I honestly I honestly don't know. Well, I'll say it like this. More often than not, when I look at Facebook or Instagram, I am discouraged, not encouraged. And there's something about seeing other people and the image they're portraying make me feel less than. You know, there, there, there's so many, I, there, there's so many, I think, truths to this, but as you begin to see these things about yourself, what you need to understand is that this is specifically how today, in this moment, your heart is over-desiring, putting false expectations on the things of the world, how you're loving the world and looking to the world to get life that only God can give you but do you hear me God can give you the life that you want money cannot give you the life that you want can it answer some issues in your life can it can it make life more comfortable can it make life a little bit more predictable absolutely but will it give you what you're really looking for no sex will give you the 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 sense of Just consummation and finality and, and, but will it satisfy you the way you've been created to be satisfied? No! Hear me. God has created you to be fulfilled. He's created you to be satisfied. But the way to be fulfilled and the way to be satisfied is with the Messiah, the hope of the world, the Christ, Jesus come in the flesh. You see, now John goes into this next teaching that if you aren't willing to take Jesus for who he says he is, you're not going to get fulfilled the way you were meant to be fulfilled. John gets absolutely grayless. That's why this whole series is called Grayless. It's black and white. You see, doctrine does matter. John is giving us a theology of doctrine here. And there are some non-essentials in the church. That's why I love the motto of the denomination that I'm ordained in, that we're a member of, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. It says, in essentials, unity. Talking about theological essentials, unity. In non-essentials, charity. In other words, we're not killing each other over non-essential theologies that we can disagree on and still go to heaven. But in all things, Christ, it's him. He's the Lord. He's the master. He's the king. And so what John is saying here, yes, there are some non-essentials, but here's the essential. Look at verse 21 through 22. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. See, John is not, he's going to give us all the fantastic images in Revelation. But all he's saying here is, is that to be a Christian and not to be opposed to Jesus and not to be opposed to God, anti-Christ, then you must believe that Jesus, come in the flesh, born of God, is the Messiah. He is the one and the only one that can fulfill you and satisfy you and do for you what, you were, what, what um, you were created to experience and have and possess. He says it again in chapter 4 of First John. By this you know the Spirit of God. You want to know how to discern the Spirit of God? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Why? Because, dear friends, those five or six diagnostic questions are just scratching the surface of what's wrong with you and me. If God were to show us how evil and wicked our hearts, what we long for, how we use every comment and every word and every conversation, how money and clothes and food and drink and sex and Facebook and Instagram. and We misuse everything. We are like sponges in the world. Fulfill me, satisfy me, make me feel significant, make me feel important. When God is the only one that can do that, but dear friends, He will do that. When you take him for who he is, Jesus, the Christ, come in the flesh. Why do I need Jesus? Why does Richard Reeves need Jesus that, that came in the flesh? Because I can never, two reasons, I can I have three reasons, I can, a bunch of reasons. I can never, I can never fulfill the law for me. And yet God can't change who He is. He's holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. He's righteous and He can have nothing to do with sin. Therefore, how can Richard be reconciled in love to the Father? Jesus had to come tangibly in the flesh and be born under the law. He had to bear up the weight of the law for Richard. He had to obey every single aspect of the law from His heart, mind, soul and strength. He had to love God with all. And that's what he did. You see, my sin is so bad that I need a physical... God had to become man to do for me what I don't do every single day. And then he had to literally go to the cross, be accused falsely of sins and crimes he did not commit, be nailed to a cross physically on a specific date, on a specific day, at a specific time, have literal blood flowing down the ground. Why? So that God Almighty's justice, the Father's justice might be poured out. It should have been poured out on me. It should have been poured out on you. But Jesus drank all of the cup of the Father's wrath so that now, through faith, I can stand legally Righteous before God and forgiven completely. And my sin and your sin is so bad that we needed God to become man. And it was our only hope because sin and righteousness and justice are just that set in the eternal order of things because God is and you can't change him. So, yes, you must believe that Jesus is the Christ and that will estrange some from the church. It was estranging some from the church in that day. Verses 18b through 20. Now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out. That it might become plain that they are all not of us. You see, physical growth is not always a sign that a church is healthy. That's what John is saying. There are people leaving the church. And what did we do? Ah, we realize, man, Jesus is just not relevant to the culture. So we better change, we better dress him up a little bit and make him a little bit more no. What John said was, this is the truth. We can't change the truth. And the truth is, Jesus is the Christ. He has come in the flesh. He has dwelt on this earth. He lived under the law. He died for the sins of his people. And yet he was raised to life. There's that third thing I was thinking about a minute ago. You see, God had to get into the ground. He had to let death do what death does. But then he said, no, you can have your way for a few days, but no, you don't get the final victory. And he came out of the ground. Why? So that I can now not fear death. All the words we sang this morning. So so that my hope is not in anything in this life, but in Jesus, the Christ who came in the flesh, lived, died, rose and is coming back. You see, my sin is so real and so tangible that, and and, and so against the real and actual God of the universe that I needed real and actual salvation. And that came in the person of Jesus Christ. John was addressing false theology and there's plenty of false theology in our day. And yet, and I'll end on this. Notice that he calls those who denied that Jesus is the physical Christ liars. That's so bizarre. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they've been of us. Ah, that's not it. Where is it? Um Here we go. Verses twenty-one and twenty-two. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lies of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Now, what is a lie? Like, that's what we all do when we get pulled over by the police, when we're speeding. What's the problem, officer? In that moment, we're lying. We know what the problem is. Um, If somebody, you know, um, asks us um, any question that we know the answer to, but we give them a false answer. Were you at the concert last night? Oh yeah, man, I was there. I loved it. When really you were there for two seconds, but you left early because your head was hurting or something. And they say, oh man, did you like that song? Well, okay, I gotta, I gotta confess. I really wasn't there. I was there for two minutes, you know. It's to know the truth and not tell the truth. The only person that can lie is somebody who knows the truth, but denies the truth. And so why does John call Those that reject the doctrine of Christ's deity and humanity, that he came in the flesh and he was God in space-time history, why does he call them liars? I believe it's because of this. I think we see it in the illustration of when C.S. Lewis became a Christian. C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest writers, thinkers um, of uh, you know, a long, long time, 100, 200 years. Amazing, amazing mind. And yet he was an atheist at one point, but he was good friends with J.R.R. R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit um, and other works. And they were walking one day and Tolkien was a believer, a Christian. And uh, they were talking about fairy tales um, and And Tolkien was just talking about how much he loved fairy tales, and and C.S. Lewis said, I do too, but isn't it sad that they're all myths and lies? And Tolkien countered back, and he said, no, that's not the case. He, He said, why is it that when you go to, and this is the point he was making, why when you read a fairy tale does it resonate with you even though you don't believe in God? Even though you say you're not a Christian and you deny the deity of Christ and you deny all the truth in the Bible. Why does every fairy tale, why does every story like that just move even the hard, the most hard hearted person? I think about Beauty and the Beast. Uh, I can't wait to see the new rendition or the new um, retelling that I guess came out Friday night in theaters. Um Maybe some of you saw it. I really want to see it this week. Why do I want to see Beauty and the Beast? Because I love the story. Why does an adult want to go see a fairy tale? This was the point that Tolkien made to Lewis that brought him to Jesus. He said, you know, you can go see a story like Beauty and the Beast. It's not the one he was referring to, obviously, but Beauty and the Beast. And... You believe and know that it's true that beauty is deeper than the skin and that someone beautiful can love the ugly. You want to believe it's true and you know that it's true because it is true. Look at any fairy tale. Look at Cinderella. Cinderella, the oppressed, the marginalized, the cast out uh, under the evil regime. Of the wicked stepmother and the wicked stepsisters, locked in the room, given mush to eat. You know, why do we want her to be freed and experience economic justice? (laughs) That's not how we think about it, obviously. We're just saying for the little girl that she doesn't deserve it. Right. Right. Why do we long for that? Because there's a God whose center is justice. Why do we want Why do we resonate with the Lion King? Why do you, as a student at Rhodes or the University of Memphis or wherever, you've gone, your teachers have succeeded in deconstructing the silly fairy tale of the gospel in your mind, and yet you go to um, the Lion King and you shed a tear. Why? Because you know that when a good king reigns, when a good king is on the throne, that even the Timons of the world prosper. Even the weak in the world prosper. I'm getting a clap. On there we go. There it is. That's it. Why does that move us? Because all of us see ourselves as little Timon, not not Mufasa. Or <laughs> because we want it to be true, and yet deep in our souls, it's touching something that we know to be true. Because the truth is in us. And that is what John is saying. He's saying you lie if you deny that Jesus is the Christ. You're a liar. Why? Because your soul knows that it's true. Your soul knows that you can't save yourself. Your soul knows that sin is real. And it's not something just to be kind of covered over. You have a sense of justice. You know that you're walking against God. You know that your life is opposed to to some truth, some force out there that is God. You know it. And what John is saying is, would you just come to the truth that you might find, the fulfillment and the satisfaction that you were made for? Let me just protect you from going any further in your misery, any further in your search Because Jesus is real. He is the Christ come in the flesh. He is the king on the throne. He is the one who frees the cinderellas of the world. He is the one that loves the ugly because he became ugly for us. Do you see it? He is the one you want and he is the one that is available. Would you come to the truth this morning? Would you believe on Jesus Would you turn your back, Christian, on all the things that you're looking to to satisfy you? And would you renew your commitment and faith in Christ this morning? Would you say yes to Jesus, Christian? (laughs) And if there's some here that don't believe, would you say yes to Jesus for the first time? Would you come to a living faith because God wants to satisfy you with the goodness of his presence? And the goodness of himself that nothing in this life can replace or shelve. Lord Jesus, would you open our hearts? Oh God, would you take the greedy talons of our sin off of our desires? Would you help us to... May the light of your glory come crashing in our hearts this morning that we might see and believe that you are better, that you are more sufficient. May we surrender all to you this morning, O oh God. May you meet us right where we are. Convince us that you are better. Oh God, we have believed the lies. O oh God, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Help us to seek help. From brothers and sisters around us even this morning. If we can't do it ourselves. But oh God I pray that you would kill the idolatry in our lives. Kill the addictions in our lives. And may we see and believe in the depths of our souls that Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient. And all to him I owe. Because he and he alone will satisfy us. Oh, God, would you come by your spirit and make it true in the heart of Richard Reeves? Would you come and make it true in the heart and minds of each person in this room that we might know the freedom of Jesus? Oh, God, would you make it so? Thank you, Jesus, that you came. Ah, It's better than any story or fairy tale that you would come, literally, that you would come. You would live in this world. You would face every temptation. You would live under the law for me. And then you would become my sin and satisfy the wrath and righteous anger of the Father for me and for us. Oh, God, may we believe it. Free the captive this morning. Bring glory to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.